Joining me today are political journalist and author David Osland, journalist and broadcaster Reem Ibrahim, and football journalist and overall broadcaster Nima Tavaye Rusari, who actually joins us from Gothenburg in Sweden, which should bring a different atmosphere to the whole program. So it's great to have you all here. Now, where shall we start? Starmer and Corbyn. Was Keir Starmer right to completely banish Jeremy Corbyn? Is Jeremy Corbyn going to stand in his constituency? Uh, is he going to win? And should the Labour Party be a broad enough church that they can accommodate all of the different factions within it? Can we just say, look, Jeremy has been a personal friend of mine since the 90s. Um, if he does run as an independent, and as, as I understand it, that's not yet a given, I'll respect his decision to put his vision of socialism ahead of taking the easy option of retirement. I mean, the block on him being a Labour candidate is an absolute outrage. I mean, if racists with drink problems, known sex pests and former Tory MPs are fit to be Labour candidates, then certainly Jeremy Corbyn is. I think in a first-past-the-post system, uh, Labour has to appeal to a broad spectrum of voters, and that requires a broad range of politicians. Corbyn certainly doesn't appeal to everyone, but he appeals strongly to many. Um, he's a necessary and desirable part of Labour's coalition, and it's his Starmer's job to hold that coalition together, not break it up. Yeah, I mean, I I, I completely disagree. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm a member of the Conservative Party, so I'm not really <laughs> one to uh, talk about the internal divisions within the Labour Party. Um, I, I, I what I will say is that I am uh, friends with a number of Labour members of Parliament, and a lot of them see uh, Jeremy Corbyn as a liability for the party. I mean, uh, when we were campaigning in 2019, uh, the, the the biggest reason, a, lot of, a huge reason, actually not the biggest. I think Brexit was the biggest, but a huge reason for a lot of people switching from the Labour Party to the to the Conservatives because of this fear of anti-Semitism and because of this fear, like, a lot of Jewish people genuinely felt fearful for their lives. I had conversations with a number of uh, people who also said that they were actually considering leaving the country if Corbyn uh, was our Prime Minister. So I think this is a genuine conversation to be had. Again, I can't necessarily speak for the individual divisions within the Labour Party. I think the Labour Party sort of need to know, don't really have a direction in its entirety and we don't know where um, where the Corbynistas sit in, in, in in relation to the, the Blair rights or the Starmer rights, um, but I, I, I don't think I'm qualified to speak about that. In 2017, Labour under Jeremy Corbyn got 40% of the vote. That was a rather successful election result. And that was despite the horrific campaigns and dishonest campaigns of anti-Semitism hurled at Je uh, Jeremy Corbyn. You think Corbyn, it was dishonest? Which we've... It was incredibly dishonest. I don't want to debate that now because this is not what we're debating. But I'll gladly take that debate with you. Name the time and place and I shall come armed to the teeth with words and 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 uh, and arguments. But that's not the time and place. For this. So here's the issue. The, it is not. It is not. It is not. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. You're not. Suck, I'm not born yesterday. You're not suckering me into this debate. <laughs> I'm talking about Jeremy Corbyn and I'm talking about the future of socialism and I'm talking about what Jeremy Corbyn and socialists need to do. They need to realise that ideologically socialists don't have anything in common with liberals and conservatives and as such they should leave and form their own party it's as simple as that you cannot have a broad church when you have an ideology that despises you 
And Keir Starmer, the, they're not Blairites, they're not Starmerites, they're liberals. They are liberals. And liberals agree more with conservatisms and conservatives on every issue of consequence than they do with socialists. And as such, this notion of a broad church is ludicrous. You're in a, what, what socialists in, in, in the UK need to understand, they're in a destructive relationship. They need to leave that relationship. They need to form their own party because, and win, win the de political debate and do that by political organization from grassroots up together with the, with the labor unions who have not been infiltrated by liberals and who actually are on the side and build a people grassroots movement, which is how Jeremy Corbyn got elected in the first place. It's as simple as that. Jeremy Corbyn brought this on himself. Jeremy Corbyn brought this on himself when he backed on Brexit. He listened to Starmer. He listened to that wing. They backstabbed him with an axe. And now he's, re he's reaping the rewards. And I got to say, as someone who respects Jeremy Corbyn as a person, when are you going to use your platform? When are you going to use your political capital to rally and unite the millions of people who are on your side? It's as simple as that. I'd absolutely welcome the Labour Party to, to split off into various factions and then they'll never win an election again. So I'd absolutely welcome Because them. the Labour, it doesn't matter about winning. It's the policy that matters, Reem. You see, this and is what you don't understand. You look at this as like a, like a team of football. I don't care if the Red Tories are in power. There's virtually no difference between the red Tories, the yellow Tories or the blue Tories. They're all Tories. You don't care about the issue policy is change. The policies, the po I, that's exactly it. I do care about policy change. And I'm not talking about minuscule a percentage here or there. No, I'm talking about actual dramatic change. The manifesto, which 40% of the public voted for in 2017. That's socialism or social democracy, however you want to call it, label it. That's what it is. And that's what they should run on. And remember that you can work together with everyone, not just anyone, everyone, anyone on single political issues. For example, when it comes to a referendum on Brexit or whatever, you can, you can work, I'll, I'll work with anyone on that issue. But you cannot, socialists cannot form a political party with liberals and conservatives. When they do, this is what happens. You get backstabbed and you get guilt tripped and say, oh, so if you don't vote for us, then, you know, we don't have to give you anything. But I'd if you don't vote for us, the Tories will make absolutely welcome to split off the Labour Party, Nemo, because then you'll never get into government and never make those evil socialist policy changes. No, well, no, great. No, good, good, well, congratulations. Because this, it doesn't matter if the Tories or the Labour is in charge, because it's the red Tories, the yellow Tories or the blue Tories. End result, Tories rule. Socialists can work with anyone on individual issues. But as a political party, this notion of a broad church, this isn't the 1950s anymore. We're in 2023. Society and our economy and our uh, so uh, and our awareness as people and our society has grown, have come so much more forward. We cannot do that anymore. What liberals and conservatives do is their problem. Socialists need to find their own voice. They need to organize. They need to strategize. And they need to do what they did 100 years ago when securing the right to vote, the birth of the welfare state and all of these things organize across social class lines, stay away from, from completely away from this divisive identity politics, which liberals absolutely love. Cause the only difference between liberals and conservatives in this day is liberal is, is identity politics. They agree on every other issue of consequence, stay away from that, organize across class lines. And you will realize that most people agree. Nima, how would you deal with the, the, the small boat uh, situation in the UK? I don't even know where to begin with that. 
Britain has left the EU. There used to be a common immigration policy, which was inhumane to begin with when, when, when Britain was in the EU. Now the EU and Britain are just put, are just playing political games and have these poor people, vulnerable people in between them, using them as, as a political football. I think it's disgusting. And why aren't people in the UK saying, oh my God, we have to re- we're retiring at 67 and the government are planning on making it 68. Are we going to be on the streets rebelling in the UK because we're going to have to work till we're 68? A lot of young people are incredibly upset about it. I mean, I, I would I would say that the current system of pensions and triple lock, we've got the triple lock on pensions, but a growing number of young people are being dragged, uh, due to fiscal drag, being dragged into higher tax brackets. And as a result of this uh, freeze on um, the income tax threshold. So I think a lot of young people are incredibly upset about uh, the current system as it is. I would actually call it intergenerational theft because we are paying way more tax than the previous generation were and we are paying the current system of tax means that we are paying for those individuals now who's going to pay for us when when we get old as well it's 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 i think the current system is incredibly unsustainable now i I don't know the ins and outs of the french pension system but if if young people are sort of defending um the older generation for having to work for for longer uh, anyway i think that's probably the right thing to do i don't think necessarily people only care about themselves when it comes to policy um, I'm not sure your generation did pay more tax, Reem. I mean, I seem to remember paying 33%. The tax burden, the overall uh, tax burden, as yeah, it is that, on that, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, The overall tax burden doesn't say where it falls on individuals. Exactly. I mean, and yeah, I, yeah, what I would say is that it's a scandal that British pensions are the lowest in in Europe, just about a third of the level in Germany. Disgraceful. Yeah, it's disgraceful. disgraceful. I mean, I don't know how people can live. But the government have already promised there'll be in line with inflation. We've got the triple lock on pensions, which I think is incredibly unfair. Young people are now paying extortionate amounts of tax. We've not built any houses, so we can't afford our own home because there aren't enough supplies, so the the prices are too high. What's incredibly unfair is that British state pensions are the the lowest in Europe. They're they're one-third of the level of Germany. They're not allowed. You can't live on 80 or 90 quid a week or whatever the state pension is. I'm so bloody glad that, you know, I've got some private provision. And, yeah, if if you're talking about why Brits aren't in the streets, well, all I can say is watch this space. You know, the way... Exactly what David said. I was just... (laughs) I'm not ruling anything out. People are tired of being screwed over. I mean, people... we're, We're not even talking poverty. We're talking destitution now from young and old this cannot continue and it, it really is socialism for the rich capitalism absolutely for absolutely not else. true this is what we live unequivocally is what, just not true what do you mean socialism true. for the rich unequivocally true equivocally true. socialism and for the rich that's why the they, that's, what does that mean socialism for the rich whenever the, when the banks fail they get bailed out by taxpayer money but when the but when the, but when working people need a help out then there's no money we that's can send not billions socialism. of pounds to the ukraine we can send billions of taxpayer money to to to, to the ukraine which well, we're not sending it to ukraine we're actually sending it to the up uh, to the the people who create the weapons and then sending them to also where again that's socialism for the rich but we can't subsidize anything anything for the working class i'm sorry reem that that's not not capitalism for the working class that is absolutely untrue you can argue you can argue you can argue the semantics of it until the cows come home but you've lost the debate and you're seeing that on the streets 
And like David, like David said, watch this space. Watch this space. Yeah, rare degree of libertarian Marxist convergence on asylum and immigration. Good. I'm glad to hear it. But you're completely wrong on saying you know, capitalism is what capitalism does. This capitalist Tory government um, will bail out the banks just as the last Labour government bailed out the banks. Exactly. I mean, when banks get too big to fail, then um, it's not just or equitable to get workers to pay for it with austerity, which we've seen since the Cameron Clegg government, which we've suffered for the last 13 years, and which, come the general ne election next year, I'm hoping that there'll be a chance to make a break from neoliberal politics. I've got to say, I do. I, I, I understand the, the sort of the point that you're making, Dave, and I think that it's unequivocally wrong for the government to bail out banks and to for the government to be intervening or bailing out lame duck industry. Well, it's capitalism. But that's not capitalism. That is not. <laughs> That, that is, is not capitalism. capitalism. That is not a free market. I, I actually don't like the word capitalism because Marx coined the word capitalism. I think it's unhelpful. I would actually oh. argue that what a market economy <laughs> is, it is, is a free market, free exchanges of goods, goods and services that are entirely voluntary without the intervention of government. What you're talking about is government intervention that is not free market capitalism. I'm talking to James Schneider. James is a co-founder of Momentum, the movement that seeks to bring a more socialist agenda into the Labour Party. And assuming we do have a, a Keir Starmer Labour government, it's not going to be doing the things that you want it to be doing. How are you going to get to the point where we can have a government which does engage with, with, with the scenario that you're outlining and how practically possible is it that that will exist? And what actually is the ultimate goal? Where do you, where would you like to see this country in, say, another ten or fifteen years? The the strategy I I put forward, which is, is called the left block strategy. So the i the idea there is we we can't hope that the political system is going to do it for us. We can't sit back and hope that Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves are going to do it because, as we've discussed, that isn't what's going to happen. And if they don't, things will get worse. as the current trend. So we really do have to. We really do have to do. Something. So what I call for is a, a pulling together in a formal alliance of what I call the progressive forces in society. So that means the trade unions, at least the left-led trade unions, but the trade unions. Uh, the environmental movement, Extinction Rebellion, Just Stop Oil, and so on. Black Lives Matter, the the feminist movement, and then other campaigns, for example, Disabled People Against Cuts, and so on. Unite those with the existing Labour left, where it still exists, and the bits of the Labour Party, the some of the MPs, some of the councillors, some of the mayors that do want to do the sorts of things that we're talking about, and use that big block to both influence into the Labour Party because it'd be much harder to ignore and also crucially to campaign in society to shift the ground on which politics sits because politicians respond to pain that's the, their main uh, their main thing if something jabs them then they move they don't really respond to cajoling they don't really respond to this is a sensible plan. They do respond to a jab and a bit of pain. 
So if like, you know, when the RMT is on strike, Mick Lynch is on TV and he can say sort of common sense things about people's pay and what's happened in the country over the last few years. If you had that block that was organised, it would be able to get its people onto the media. It would be able to run big campaigns, for example, on on water, on bringing back water uh, into, into public ownership, which you could run with all of the affected communities, which is low, as in the ones that are having uh, crap poured into their, into their rivers and their seas. Um, and, and then that would begin to shift the ground of politics. Now, where would I like things to, to be? Uh, I end the book um, with four scenarios written from the perspective of about 2030 from the rest of the decade. Now, of course, you have to remember the book was written a couple of years ago, so things have moved on, although some of the stuff that I predict in the scenarios has already happened. But uh, in those four scenarios, they're all very different in what could happen politically. In some of them, the Labour Party is really important. In some of them, it doesn't matter. Um, in some of them, pot change does come through Westminster. In other ones, it doesn't. But the point is that this strategy of bringing together and knitting together as much as possible the progressive forces under a shared banner of dealing with the cost of living crisis and the climate crisis is the is the best way that we can have to both have wins now to improve people's wages now to bring down people's bills now to get some action on climate change and strengthen us to a position where we can actually consider having a democratic government that has the support of most people because it is doing the things that are common sense that people support you know when you look at polls they overwhelmingly support they want to tax the rich to have better funded public services people on a pay rise and action on climate change which will reduce our bills create good jobs and protect the planet but within the, the structure of the country surely the best chance of achieving that and politics is the art of the of the possible the best chance of of, of achieving that must be through the Labour Party within the current two-party system. So have you given up all hope of the Labour Party coming round to the kind of agenda that, that you're proposing? In the short term, yes. Uh, as in with the, with the existing leadership, yes, they aren't going to just um, change their minds. But uh, within the strategy I'm suggesting, either uh, this block would get sufficient force to then be able to change the Labour Party, or it would have such force that uh, the Labour Party, would, the, the Starmer leadership would expel its elements, and then that could form a new party, because that would be sufficiently large to have an impact. Um, or it would happen outside of the, uh, of the Westminster system. You know, one of the examples I, I lay out um, is... You know, more similar to say the uprisings in Chile in in 2019, um, which you know have ended in a particular way. So that my point is, we can't know the future, and we shouldn't say, well, because like I'm a Labour member, I would like the Labour Party to be to to be the vehicle that uh, that brings about good change for the country. But I'm I'm also you know analytical, and I can see that it doesn't get you know history doesn't care about my feelings and different forces could different forces could come together so it's pragmatic in that sense um and tries to maximize the potential for the progressive forces in the country for the democratic forces in the country to make themselves heard to make the people heard 
Well, it's quite possible that a Labour government faced with the problems that they're going to face will have to have a, a readjustment to how best they can solve the country's problems. And they may come round to your way of thinking that that's what we have to do to solve the country's issues. Well, I, I mean, maybe they will and maybe they won't. But my, my point is they certainly won't if we haven't made our forces as strong as possible. You know, they're certainly, uh, it, you know, if trade unions aren't strong, they certainly aren't going to be supporting um, uh, workers not getting pay cuts. You know, if bill payers groups that are threatening to boycott their bill, pay, you know, paying their bills, their energy bills, their water bills until something is done about it, if that's strong, that will have an impact. If there are tenants unions that are strong that could uh, go on strike, uh, a rent strike against the fact that their their rents are being hiked up, then that that could shift the the Labour Party's position. So my argument is that we have to look at where we are strong or where we are relatively strong and strengthen those areas and bring them together rather than just focusing on what's going on at the top of the Labour Party. We want to move the top of the Labour Party and move the ground on which politics overall sits. Yes, I mean, I, I appreciate it. I understand now you know, where you're coming from, James. And, and, and also, if, if ultimately it's a choice for the country between an extreme right-wing populist government or the government that you're proposing, then the country has a very serious choice to make. And I'm sure that uh, the, the, the policy that you're proposing would probably win out if it's given the chance to, to actually live, which is the, the key issue, because within the confines of the political system, it becomes difficult. Yeah, that's uh, that's very true. I've been wanting to have this chat for a while, and I really appreciate it. So thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Right on the Nail with me, Chris Wright and James Schneider. Thanks again to James for coming on. If you want to explore more about this, there's a link in the show notes so you can get a hold of a copy of your own version of our blog, How We Win, James's book. It's really interesting. It's really worthwhile reading. The podcast was produced by Tom Platts. It's published by New Thinking. Find out more at newthinking.com. And remember, there's a new episode every week. So thanks for joining us this week. And we look forward to seeing you in the future. And thanks once again to James. I've hit the nail.